Welcome to this podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. It publishes original research and topical reviews on basic and clinical aspects of gastrointestinal sensation and motility, as well as brain-gut interaction. So welcome everyone to this month's podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. My name's Adam Farmer and I'm a gastroenterologist to the Wingate Institute in London. Uh, This month, it's my great pleasure to welcome Professor Gerald Holtman. Gerald is a Professor of Medicine and Associate Clinical Dean at the University of Queensland in Australia and has been highly active in the field for the last two decades. So Gerald, many thanks for joining us on the podcast this month and congratulations to you and your co-authors on your paper entitled A Randomised Placebo-Controlled Trial on the Effects of Methanserin, a Proprietary Peppermint and Caraway Oil Preparation on symptoms and quality of life in patients with functional dyspepsia. So if I could start and ask you, what really is functional dyspepsia? Thank you, Adam. Functional dyspepsia is a highly prevalent condition characterized by upper abdominal pain and or other symptoms. And patients frequently report that these symptoms occur in combination with other GI symptoms like IBS-type symptoms, and a characteristic is that at least in the subgroup, patients, the symptoms are aggravated when they eat. Um, typically, they are seen by a specialist or a GP, and all the diagnostic tests which are being done are negative, or um, the findings which are, uh, which are made are probably not explaining the symptoms. And For example, if somebody has Helicobacter pylori infection, you may treat this, but the majority of patients will not experience improvement after this effort. It's a chronic condition. Um, It it significantly significantly impacts on the quality of life, and a large proportion of our population, probably more than 10%, are really affected. So are there any subtypes of functional dyspepsia? Well, the... Most recent or the current Rome criteria have the epigastric pain syndrome and the postprandial distress syndrome. Epigastric pain syndrome are symptoms predominantly in the epigastric region, and the postprandial distress syndrome is defined by symptoms that are aggravated or occur um, soon after a meal. Um, these are the classic two categories. In the clinical setting, you much more look whether a patient has concomitant IBS symptoms or not. Therefore, we probably come to the conclusion that if a, some, if a patient has only functional dyspepsia, he is more on the lighter side of being affected by this condition. So you mentioned that despite uh, treatment of helicobacter, many patients remain symptomatic. What are the current management strategies for functional dyspepsia? The management strategy for these patients clearly depends on the intensity of their symptoms, or in other words, how much their quality of life is impacted. Um, A significant proportion probably will see the um, GP, and the GP can reassure the patients by very simple measures that there is no um, life-threatening condition. They may change their diet. They may even go for a FODMAP diet and have sufficient improvement of symptoms. Other patients have severe manifestations. Their quality of life is severely affected. 
and quite a number of these patients are very concerned that there is significant disease, cancer causing the symptom. Depending on the age and the individual risk factors, you probably need to do some diagnostic workup, an endoscopy, and maybe even a colonoscopy if there is um, the possibility that there is organic disease, and this is based upon the age of the patient. But otherwise, your treatment targets mainly the symptoms and you identify the, the predominant symptoms and accordingly you treat them with acid-lowering drugs, you treat them with prokinetics, you use herbal medicines, and the drug which we studied in this um, trial actually is um, some kind of herbal medicine which aims to reduce the contractile activity. So, so what is it? The effects of uh, methanserin, uh, what is it composed of? What is it, are is its effects on the gut? I mean, this is a combination of peppermint and caraway oil. Peppermint oil, in a sense, is quite well established um, for the treatment of functional gastrointestinal disorders. The interesting thing is, while it's established, it's being used for decades, um, it is over-the-counter, there's not much interest to do research in this field. Interestingly, when we had an opportunity to study this, the effect was quite good. Actually, the magnitude of the effects is probably better than the effects of many of the chemically defined medications like prokinetics, where you hardly manage to get a 10 or 15% gain over placebo. And certainly, if I should rate the um, effect, it's clearly better as compared to H. pylori eradication. So what methods did you use in your study? This was a standard randomized placebo-controlled study. Um, these were patients recruited in the primary care setting by GPs, and then after exclusion of structural organic disease, they were recruited for the study. And what were your key results? Well, the, the key result is that relatively soon after treatment with this medication, the symptoms which were consistent with PDS and EPS were significantly improved and the improvement continued for a prolonged period of time. And uh, throughout the study, we didn't see any deterioration or negative effects of this treatment. And were there any side effects of the treatment at all? Well, um, it's well known. We didn't see side effects in our trial, but it's well known that um, peppermint oil, while it is um, lowering the pressure of um, the lower esophageal sphincter, can predispose patients to get um, a bit of reflux symptoms. Our patients were screened. We, for obvious reason, ruled out patients with reflux disease or GERD and we didn't have this problem. But if you take peppermint oil preparations, um, this can be a, a, a typical adverse or a side effect. Did your study have any limitations at all in your view? Um, we used a measure to quantitate the improvement as between placebo and, and active medication. Um, and I think this is a valid approach. People could argue that we should have asked the simple question, 
have your symptoms been sufficiently um, improved? Therefore, in this kind of trials, there are different ways how you can measure response. And if I would redesign this now, I probably would have this binary question, um, what was the improvement? Was the overall improvement sufficient? Have been your main symptoms appropriately controlled? And since we designed and completed this study, this concept that we have an overlap between functional dyspepsia and IBS is really emerging. And therefore, maybe if we would do the study now, we would be slightly different with regard to capturing the effects of, um, of IBS symptoms, which certainly can contribute to the overall disease burden in these patients. So how do your results take uh, the field forward, particularly in the management of functional dyspepsia? Well, this is another trial or another treatment modality which is available to the clinicians. Contrasting to most other treatments which are prokinetic or neuromodulators, this seems to be mainly focused on the contractile activity of the gut. Peppermint oil reduces the contract activity and seems to have a beneficial effect in these patients. Therefore, it was when we designed a little bit contrasting this concept, stimulate motility and you get better improvement. Actually, if you give a medication that um, is somehow spasmolytic, it can be beneficial. And maybe we designed different drugs, trying different doses to achieve this effect. And maybe we can even optimize um, the use of this medication by using different doses. This was um, a dose which was traditionally used in the clinical setting. And this was a clinical trial to confirm that this dose was right. But based upon our data, we cannot say whether this effect is maxed out and we can achieve more by increasing the dose further. Therefore, there's quite a bit of opportunity to do more research in this space. So with that, I'd like to uh, sincerely thank you and your co-authors for uh, an excellent paper and also for assisting in this month's podcast. I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in and I look forward to welcoming you to another instalment uh, next month. Further information about this paper can be found on the journal website. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to welcoming you to next month's edition.